In this section, this is the birth of John the Baptizer, and he is not John the Baptist. Okay, that's that's a denomination. <laughs> he is John the Baptizer. So he's John who was known for baptizing people. Nor was that like his last name, like he was John Baptist. In Mark's book, John the Baptizer is viewed as another Elijah. This is a huge emphasis in Mark's gospel, who has come to restore the kingdom of Yahweh. This is seen in Mark 1, 6, where John is described as wearing the same clothes as Elijah from 2 Kings. And in Mark 9, 1 through 13, where John is said to be Elijah. In John's book, the Gospel of John, John the baptizer denies that he is the Messiah, he an Elijah or a prophet, stating that he is merely a witness to one who is to come. In Luke's book, John is a spirit-filled prophet who comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah as a forerunner to the Messiah who preaches repentance and forgiveness. He is not Elijah since the description of John's clothing is omitted. So the emphasis and focus here is on John as the forerunner who is filled with the Spirit of God. This is the emphasis in Luke's Gospel. The birth of John. Chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother replied, No, he must be named John. They said to her, But none of your relatives bears this name. So they made signs to the baby's father, inquiring what he wanted to name his son. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue released. And he spoke, Blessing God. All their neighbors were filled with fear, and throughout the entire hill country of Judea, all these things were talked about. All who heard these things kept them and their hearts, saying, what, when, what, will, what then will this child be? For the Lord's hand was indeed with him. The emphasis here is that Elizabeth is surrounded by joy. She is filled with joy. Her community is surrounding her with joy. And the, the emphasis here is knows that there's no mention of her community or Zechariah's community when the birth announcement is given. But now that the birth is happening, that she is completely surrounded by joy. And the emphasis is that the, the, um, the isolation that she might have felt, the lack of purpose in life for not having a child that she felt is completely gone and removed from her because of the blessings of God. And so Zechariah basically realized at this point, I'm not going to get that whole obedience thing wrong this time. And so he's very committed to naming him. And because of his faithfulness to Yahweh, his mouth is released and he's able to talk. Now this is significant because all throughout the First Testament, even when God judges people, it is never absolutely completely final. People always have the chance to repent. They always have the chance to come back to God. They have the chance to renew their commitment and faithfulness. And there's always a sense of restoration. And this is probably most powerfully seen in the tribe of Levi, who where Levi himself massacred the Shechemites using the sign of circumcision of the Abrahamic covenant in order to lure people into a death trap. And yet it is the tribe of Levi years later who stands next to Moses against the golden calf 
And when everybody loses the right to be priests, Levi maintains their priesthood because of their faithfulness to God. So God often allows people. Now, there's still always consequences for actions, but judgments are never an absolute carved in stone with Yahweh when it comes to the fact that faith can always trump the law. And faith can always restore someone back into a right relationship with God, no matter what you've done. And I think Paul is another example of that. There's also something about silence that gives you a chance to really think (laughs) and process everything that has happened. And so in the nine months of silence, maybe ten, Zechariah has had plenty of time to kind of contemplate things. And so there's definitely a change here. Zechariah then sings his own praise. So Mary had hers before the birth of her son, and now Zechariah has his after the birth of his son. Chapters 1, 67 through 80. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now this is an actual prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to help and has redeemed his people. For he has raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of his servant, David. So the first thing he emphasizes is once again, praise to God. This is a hymn of praise. And for he has brought the redemption of his people. This is something they've been waiting for. To be honest, none of us have any idea what it's like to wait for something like the Jews have been waiting for their Messiah. There's nothing that, like, Yes, there's probably things that we've really waited for, but nothing that is earth and life-changing and world-shifting as this, and nothing that is ingrained into the DNA of our community, of our ancestors, and passed down to us like this. And so this is not only the biggest moment in history for all mankind, whether they acknowledge it or not, pre, during, or post, But this is the biggest moment in all of Jewish history. And to be alive in this moment of this great anticipation that I can't even begin to fathom what that would feel like, waiting for it and not getting it, and then it finally coming in a community, ancestral kind of a sense. And here he is, it's like, it's here. It's here. And so the amount of joy... The word joy just doesn't carry the force that probably what everybody's thinking when they're like, John is truly special. Oh my gosh, this is an angelic visitation. Like everybody's just grasping onto this. Whether they'll accept Jesus or not when he finally reveals himself as the controversial person he is, there's definitely this sense of it has come and everything is going to change from this point on. And so he emphasizes this, for he has raised up a horn of salvation. Now remember, a horn is symbolic of authority and power. And horns were on the, the, the most powerful animals in nature are horned animals. Probably lions and tigers are the exception to that, but, and bears. But even then, the ram and the bull, when they, like, they beat into you, like, they're going to crush you. And they're more prevalent, too, in this culture. And so horns are representative of authority, so it's the power and the authority of salvation for the house of his David's servant. So once again, Zechariah is emphasizing kingship, sovereignty, a military conquest and salvation kind of a sense, because that horn communicates military. Whereas Mary praised Yahweh for meeting her personal needs, 
Zechariah is going to praise Yahweh for raising up a Messiah for the nation of Israel. Zechariah's praise of Yahweh is rooted in the Exodus typology and metaphors of light and darkness of Psalm 106. His song portrays two conflicting images of salvation, one of socio-political and the other of spiritual. And we talked about that. The, the, the salvation that God is bringing is, is a double-pronged salvation, a socio-political, economic, military deliverance from the oppressors of Rome, the physical powers that hold over you, and then the spiritual, demonic, sin, death, and the devil kind of a power. Unfortunately, the Jews tend to emphasize the first, where we tend to emphasize the latter as modern-day Christians. Verse 70, As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from long ago, that we should be saved from our enemies. Notice that's military. And from the hand of all those who hate us. He has done this to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The holy covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. The promise to make Israel a great nation, fruitful and multiplied, a blessing to the world. And the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, this oath grants that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, sociopolitical, may serve him without fear, that we will truly be without fear from our oppressors anymore. We'll be freed from that. In holiness and righteousness before him for as long as we live. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now you can see the spiritual dimension where now he's emphasizing that this isn't just about a Messiah coming to deliver us from our political enemies through military action, but this is salvation for the forgiveness of our sins. Whether Zechariah was really emphasizing that or not in his own life, because the Spirit of God has come upon him and he's being directed through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is definitely developing both sides of the salvation. Because of our God's tender mercy, the dawn will break upon us from high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child, so this is emphasized, we are freed from darkness. First half is military and the second half is spiritual. And we're going to be brought out of the darkness. And remember, this is the point that in the beginning was formlessness and empty, a dark, watery, chaotic mass. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and subdued the disorder and brought light into the world and began to form and order everything. And then we're seeing that here, that the Messiah has come into a nation and a time period of chaos and darkness. John's Gospel begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was the light of all mankind, and the light came into the darkness, us, but the darkness did not accept nor recognize the light. This is the emphasis that just as God came into the physical chaos of creation, He's coming into the physical chaos of our socio-politicalness and our own dark hearts. And He's going to bring light into both the material, socio-political, as well as the spiritual sin condition of our hearts. And though he emphasizes the military first and the spiritual second, it's actually going to be the spiritual that will be accomplished first and the military that will be accomplished second. This is the emphasis of Zechariah's song. This is what redemption is. This is what salvation is. 
And so as much as God has promised to free us from sin, the crap that is in all of our governments right now, we're also going to be promised to be freed from that one day too and put under a truly just king who will bring joy and peace and hope. And by the way, crap has always been there. It's just a little bit more obvious right now. So the veil has been pulled away from the dysfunctionality. Verse 80. And the child kept growing and becoming strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day that he revealed was revealed to Israel. He goes in the wilderness. We don't know what happened to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Obviously, they're much older in age when they had him. So did they die young and he was taken off? We don't know. Did he, was he called to leave them like Samuel was given up by Hannah in order to serve in the temple? And God kind of had a hand there. We don't know. But either way, he goes in the wilderness. Now, there's a lot of scholars who have guessed that he's been a part of the Qumran community. The Qumran community was a community of people on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. And they were basically a group of men who had dedicated their life to celibacy for the purpose of maintaining the scriptures and teaching them. And they were known for taking orphans in. They were probably one of the only orphanages around that area. And they would take orphans in and raise them in the word of God and like in a very ascetic, very disciplined kind of a culture. I mean, they lived in the desert, like desert, desert. Like it is barren, hardly any water. Like you can feel the water being sucked out of your mouth as you breathe the dry air over there. It's hot. And so it's going to be a very disciplined kind of a life in this. And they copy the scriptures. They, they really, one of the things that they got was they were really obsessed with the prophets when it came to the imagery of light and darkness, good and evil, and the cosmic battle between these two forces and the ultimate triumph of light. And they also, unlike pretty much every Jew of that time period, where the, the gospel, the, the prophets emphasized that Jesus, the Messiah, would be a king, who would militarily rule over the house of David with a few brief prophecies of a high priest who atoned for the sins. Many Jews either did not even emphasize the high priesthood at all or they viewed two separate messiahs as in king and priest where Zechariah made it clear that they were going to be one and the same. And remember, according to the law, it's forbidden for one man to be king and high priest. So a lot of Jews had no reason to believe that the Messiah would be both because the law kind of forbid, it, forbid that. Where the, the Qumran community really, they merged them. They were one of the few communities that really made the connections and merged it. And probably because they were just way more students of the law than most people were at that time period. So even though they were a celibate community and they were mostly men, there were many families that they would take in too. And so there were families of um, um, couples, of male and females. We would have kids and that kind of stuff. But the leaders of the community were definitely these celibate men. And so they lived out in the wilderness. They, they lived off to wherever the land could give them. They didn't really value materialism in any kind of a sense. It was just the bare necessities. So a lot of animal skins. And they were in the wilderness. 
And so John going to the wilderness and then coming out of the wilderness, and of course Mark's gospel says he wore animal skins, he lived off the land, eating just basically honey and locusts. And that locusts might actually not actually be a real locust, which there's nothing wrong with that, you can eat them. But it also might be like a locust bean. There's an actual bean pod that's really long, like um, like sugar snap peas, but bigger, wider, and longer. And that's prevalent in that region. So it might have been more of like honey and beans than actually like sucking the meat out of the rear end of a locust. So that kind of that's actually what you do when you eat them. So that's probably more the thing. But this very much fits the Qumran community because John knows the scriptures really well. He has the mentality and the look of the Qumran community. He has the celibateness of the Qumran community. He has the wildness. And he really emphasizing this black and white, light and dark, kind of you're either with God or you're not with God, and this idea of judgment. And he gets, whether he fully understands it or not, he's making it clear that Jesus is the king, but he also, when he looks at him, he declares him as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So there's no ironclad proof, and there's with every scholar who thinks this, there's always a scholar who disagrees. But he might have come from that kind of community, which we learned about as the Essenes when we went through the intertestamental history period um, last time. This is the emphasis here. But the other reason he goes in the wilderness is to fulfill Isaiah and Malachi. And we already talked about this, where a voice cries out from the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, which we've seen that prepare for the way for the Lord twice already with Zechariah's story here. And that God will make every mountain low, every valley high, and every crooked path straight. So it'll just be a straight, flat path to God. And this is what he's going to do. So he has to come out of the wilderness to fulfill the prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah. So this is John's birth. Now notice how short and sweet it is. Because Jesus is going to get way more real estate when it comes to his story. 